Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. The Shield of Faith. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to start with verse 10. This is what the scripture says. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So Paul says that we don't wrestle against humans if there's a problem in your life. Even if your boss is causing the problem, the source of that problem is not a human being. It's not flesh and blood. There is an unseen force at work that's trying to squash you and crush you. Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle. We do wrestle. We do have a fight. You know, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12 that we are to fight the good fight of faith. So the scripture says there is a fight for the believer. You know, life is not funfair. Life is not flowers and daisies. Life is warfare. And then that's why Paul goes on to say, though we have a fight, though there is a wrestling that's taking place, we've not been left helpless. God didn't send Jesus and then bring Jesus back to heaven and say, you're on your own now. Paul goes on to say, though, the, though we do wrestle against principalities, against rulers of darkness and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, you're not helpless. He goes on to say, take up the whole armor of God. God didn't leave you empty-handed. God didn't leave you weaponless so that the devil can come in and slap you around and you have no, no opportunity to fight back or no opportunity to defend yourself. Paul says, you can take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand, oh hallelujah, to withstand in the evil day and having done all to continue standing. Stand therefore. So notice how it says, if you're a believer and you follow Paul's instructions, you don't ever have to fall. You don't ever ever have to be defeated. You don't ever have to be a victim. You can walk in victory. You don't ever have to be a victim of defeat and desolation. You can walk in victory and triumph. Paul says, having done all, to stand. So obviously, it's possible to stand. Obviously, it's possible to actually have a line of defense against the work of the devil, that you don't have to fall every time, you know, brother's been, devil's been attacking me uh, this, these last couple of weeks. I don't know what to do. I, I just keep on falling. You keep on talking like that, and you're going to continue falling like that. But if you'll start to say what Paul says, that I can stand against the attack of the devil. I can actually not only stand against the attack of the devil and live life on the defense, I can be on the attack against the devil. I don't have to be uh, at the mercy of hell. I, I can actually have hell at my mercy. I don't have to be a victim of defeat all the days of my life. I can actually rise up and be more than a conqueror because of what Christ did for me and what he does through me. Paul says, you can stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now listen to this. 
Verse 16, Ephesians 6, uh, Ephesians 6.16. This is where I was uh, getting them. Above all. So Paul lists the breastplate of righteousness, which we're going to talk about that because it's essential to faith. Having girded your waist with truth, having shod your feet with the gospel. He, he talks about all these wonderful components of the armor of God. But then he moves on to say above all those things, above the shield of uh, the, the breastplate of righteousness, above shodding your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You should take up the shield of faith. I want you to write that in the comment section. I have the shield of faith. I have the shield of faith. Because there's a lot of people that they, they confess, I have no faith. They confess, I, I, it seems like I have no faith. Man, I, I, I just would love to have some faith. They confess something that's against what the word of God says you have. The Bible says you have the shield of faith at your disposal. So it's not a question of you not having faith. It's a question of you following the instructions of Paul to actually take up the shield of faith that God's put at your disposal and use it so that, Paul goes on to say, which you'll be, with which you'll be able to quench to extinguish, to bring to nothing all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Above all, take up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So that's what I'm endeavoring to do today. I want you to not only leave this broadcast knowing that you have the shield of faith at your disposal, but how you can take it up and utilize it so that you're not a victim of constant attack after attack after attack. The Bible says with the shield of faith, you can extinguish not some attacks of the devil, not most attacks of the devil, but there's still some that can get through. The shield of faith is not perfect. It's, it's, it's permeable. It's not impermeable. Paul says, with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I'm convinced, you know, there's some preachers that they preach the opposite. They say, you know, sometimes, you know, life doesn't give you what you want. Sometimes, sometimes it seems like the devil gets his way. And, and when we make it to heaven one day, you know, that's when we'll have our final vindication and stuff. The Bible doesn't say that you have to wait till heaven to quench the attack of the devil. The Bible says you have to just take up the shield of faith to quench the attack of the devil, to bring the attack of the devil to nothing. And I, I'm more than confident that there are some of you watching me right now that life has been a series of attack after attack. And because you haven't come into the knowledge of what I'm about to talk to you right now, you've always been on the down low. You've always been a victim of oppression. And it seems like you're just, your mind just rolls. When, is that, when am I going to come out of it? When am I finally going to have my breakthrough? And you've attended conferences and they've told you, your breakthrough's coming. Don't just keep on holding on. Your breakthrough's coming. And you've been waiting for 15 years, 20 years, and your breakthrough hasn't come. I'm here to tell you today, when you leave this broadcast equipped with the shield of faith and knowing how to release that faith in the direction of what you have need of, you're not going to have to wait 5, 10, 15 years. The Bible says with the shield of faith, you can bring an imminent, an immediate 
end to all attack of the devil. The devil doesn't want you to hear this message. Religion hates this message because religion makes its money of keeping people poor, of keeping people in bondage. I mean, if you study the history of, 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 of religious Christianity, it's, it's, it's really twisted. There's a religious people, the Phari- ever since the days of Jesus, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious system has made money of telling people that their breakthrough is coming. But Jesus didn't come to tell people that one day it's going to be worth it. Jesus said, if you'll come to me now, oh, hallelujah, if you'll come to me now, If you'll come to me now, you that are weary and heavy laden. He didn't say one day I'm going to give you the rest you want. He said, I will give you rest now. The Bible says the son of God was made manifest to do what? To destroy the work of the devil. Not to give you power to put up with the work of the devil. To destroy the work of the devil. Religion teaches you the opposite. That you have to put up with it. That suffering is like, you know, if you suffer in sickness and suffering, you have depression and all that. That it's actually a sign of piety. It's a sign that you're growing closer to God. When it's quite, that's the greatest lie hell has ever pitched this generation. That the more depression you have, the more godly you are. That, you know. Uh, being a Christian doesn't mean having victory in life. It just means being able to endure life. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that in all these things, we become more than conquerors because of Christ Jesus. And faith, the Bible says in 1 John 5, 4, is what gives you power to have victory in this present age, in this present life. So that's what I want to put in you today. I want to, you know, there's a lot of Christians, they walk around like they're the third person from the left on the evolution chart with their backs, uh, you know, crouched over. They look like that new filter on Instagram everybody's seen where they they, they have that sad face and the tears. That's how some Christians look. And it's, it's really a disgrace to the blood of Jesus and the cross of Christ because of what he's done for us. I mean, Jesus didn't come just so that life could be a little better. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to its fullest. Life abundantly. Life abundantly. The religious system always tells people, you know, you're going to have to go through this because God's refining you, whatever. Whereas Jesus, Jesus came to set people free and did it for free. And you want to know why religion has to come up with all these scapegoats, it's because there's no power in religion to actually set people free. A lot of these guys, they don't fast, they don't pray, they don't have intimate relationship with God because you want to know why I know how, want to know why I know, you know, want to know how I know why? It's because if they did have intimate relationship with God, they'd have a burning desire to see people free by the power of God. But the fact that they just keep people hanging on and keep people on this perpetual, vicious, uh, false hope cycle, it, it shows that they have no heart for God. And as a result, they have, to give, they have to give excuses. Just keep on holding on. Just keep on holding on. You know, just endure. Just keep on. That's not how Jesus operated. Everywhere Jesus went, the Bible says, he was anointed by the Holy Ghost and power to heal all that were oppressed of the devil and to set men free. So let's get in it. What is faith? Before I do that, let me give you some introductory statements. 
Before you could understand the power and the functionality of faith, you have to understand this one thing. God wants you to have his best in life. God wants you to walk in his best in life. God does not want you to have mediocre experiences in life. God doesn't want you to be struggling all throughout your life. He doesn't want you to be on this cycle of frustration your entire life. God has a desire to give you his best. The Bible says in Romans 8.32, If he didn't spare Jesus, but delivered him up for us all, will he not freely give us everything else to richly enjoy? So if Jesus, if God didn't spare his begotten son, his only begotten son, but delivered him up for us all, the Bible says, will God not give us everything else richly to enjoy? So a lot of times you have knucklehead preachers that tell people that to desire to have hope for the best, you know, to desire healing is bad. They tell people that to desire increase is bad, that you should just be content with where you're at. I'm not against being content with where you're at. The Bible says having clothes and, 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 and you know, your basic necessities, you should be content. I'm not talking about having this discontent outlook on life where you're just miserable and, and, uh, and, and you're never happy because nothing seems to work in life and you just complain about everything. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you're sick today, to desire healing is not wrong. If you're poor and constantly living paycheck to paycheck, to desire financial increase is not wrong. If you're at a low place in life, to desire an, uh, uh, um, a change of levels is not wrong. It's not wrong. It's religion that teaches people to desire anything else than where you're at right now is wrong. But I want to remind you of something. It, Hebrews chapter 11, listen to this. So this is what the Bible teaches. No matter what some preacher said, this is what God's word says. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Another translation reads, now things of, uh, faith is the substance of things you desire. The things hoped for. The, it's, it's the substance of things expected. So to have an expectation in life, to have a desire to see things grow in life, to have a desire to see your family uh, change for the better, to have your marriage, your marriage um, better, to have a desire to see your body strong and not constantly battling fatigue all the days of your life is not wrong. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. So to hope for something, that's, that's what I don't get. I don't understand because the Bible doesn't say hope is a bad thing. Hope is a good thing. Hope, and there's a lot of people that say faith is the opposite of hope because, you know, Jesus didn't say, daughter, thy hope has made thee well. Faith is not the opposite of hope. We don't receive things by hope. That's clear because the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. So if you just hope for things, if you're just dreaming about a better future, you're not going to actually substantialize that for your, yourself unless you have faith. But faith and hope are not opposites. Faith and hope come hand in hand. Before faith can substantialize something, you have to hope for it. If, if you don't have a target, if there's no bullseye, you'll never hit it. If you don't know where you want to go, you know, you can't just get into a car and get on the main highway and say, well, I'm going to get to my destination. 
You might never get there. You might be going in the opposite direction. You have to first punch into your GPS the desired destination before you can get into your car and actually get to where you need to go. You, can, you don't just get into a car and I, I want to uh, I wanna go to Colorado today and I'm leaving from Montreal and I go into a highway that's leading me north. And thinking that, you know, if I just go north long enough, I'll hit, I'll hit Colorado. It doesn't work that way. I have to put the destination into my GPS and then follow the instructions. Well, that's exactly what faith and hope are. Hope is you put, punching in the destination into your GPS. It's you having, an, it, it's you having a, a picture of where you want to go. It's, it's painting the target. You know, Wayne Gretzky used to say, 100% of the shots you don't take don't go in. And so where do people, where do hockey players shoot the puck? They don't shoot it just anywhere. They shoot it at a net. There's a, there's a goal. That's why we call them hockey goals. There's a goal. There's, a, there's a, a target that they're trying to hit. Well, if a hockey player just started flinging the puck wherever they wanted to fling the puck, it, wasn't, it wouldn't do much. If a, a field goal kicker in the NFL just got up and said, you know what, I'm just going to kick, the, I'm going to close my eyes and just kick it wherever. I know God's going to guide it to the, that guy would be seen as a lunatic. He'll never hit a field goal. He'll be the worst field goal percentage in the NFL. I'm just going to close my eyes and just kick it. I know God's going to take it. That's how some people treat faith. They just treat it as like some, some mystical thing that I, if, you know, whatever God wants me to have in life, I'll have it. There's nothing I can do for it. Nothing I can do against it. God will give it to me if he sees me. If he sees it fit to give it to me, he'll give it to me. And then when they don't get things, what do they do? They blame it on his sovereignty. Oh, God's sovereign, amen. No, they never took the step to first paint a target, to hope for, to expect. You know, the Bible says the expectation of the righteous will not be cut off. It doesn't say the good expectations of the righteous. It just says the general expectations of the righteous will not be cut off. So if you, if you don't expect good things, and you only expect bad things to happen in your life, it won't be cut off. Bad things will happen in life. Because uh, without you realizing it, your expectation is painting the target as to where, where you're heading. It's painting the target as to where you're heading. And so if you have a negative expectation of, of what uh, life's going to hand you, or what you're going to have to go through, you're going to head in that direction. But if you have a godly hope, a godly hope that's not just waiting and sitting on the promises of God and saying in his timing. A godly hope is that, you know, Romans chapter 4. Let me read this. this. This will paint the picture better than I could ever say it. Romans chapter 4. Listen to this. In verse, verse 17. Romans 4, 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Verse 18, this is talking about Abraham. Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed. So there's, why does it say in contrary to hope, in hope, believed? Sounds like that's a contradictory statement. How do you say in in Walking against hope, in hope he believed. Who contrary, he was contradicting hope, yet in hope he believed. Well, how do you make sense of that? Abraham was contradicting human hope. Human hope is, you know, a dream. Human hope is, one day I might have it. Human hope is, 
I wish for that thing to come to pass. Godly hope is, I've seen what God can do for others. I know it's what God wants to give me today. I have a target painted. If God did it for them, he can do it for me. I know it's not something, it's not outside the realm of what's possible with God. And so Abraham was believing for a child. And contrary to human hope, in godly hope, he believed. So that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith. So it doesn't say hope weakens faith. Hope actually comes, it empowers faith. It's hard to believe for something you don't even know exists in the word of God. That's why the word of God builds hope. Because it shows you God can do it for you. It shows you it's available in God. That God, uh, it's something God wants you to have. You can actually believe beyond godly hope. You can't believe beyond your knowledge of what God, what you know God wants you to have. I can't believe. I would never be able to believe God for healing if I didn't have a, 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 a proof from his word that he's able to do it. So that's what hope does. Hope show it's like proof from God's word that God's done it for others. He's able to do it for you. But that's not what faith is. Not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what God promised, he was able to perform. So what's hope and what's faith? Hope gives you proof God can heal. Faith is locating specific promises in the word of God that appropriate that promise for you. So hope is, is, is believing God can save. You know, a lot of preachers, they make these blanket statements. God can save. God's still in the miracle working business. Well, even if I believe God's still in the miracle working business, it doesn't mean I have faith to actually receive a miracle for myself. This is where a lot of people get confused because they say God can do miracles. They have hope for it. But faith is what substantializes the hope that you have. Abraham, in hope, believed that he would become the father of many nations. That's why he started calling himself Abraham. He was Abram before. But then he, God told him, change your name to Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. So that's what he did. So every time someone called him, they had to call father of many nations. Every time he introduced himself, he had to say, I'm, I'm father of many nations. And I'm sure they looked behind him. You only have one kid. What do you mean father of many nations? No, I'm father of many nations. So that was hope that God was one day going to make him a father of many nations. But then what did Abraham do by faith to substantialize that hope? He didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but stre was strengthened in faith. So he didn't just say, I'm the father of many nations. I know God's going to do it for me. He went back to God's promise. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. So it's not just, I know God can heal. It's the Bible says he himself took my sicknesses and diseases. And by his stripes, I'm healed. 
So the hope is God can heal and he's still healing today. Faith locates the exact promise of God that shows me that he's not only able to do it as a general blanket statement, but he's going to do it for me because his covenant says so. His covenant says so. So going back to my original statement in the introduction of this, it's not wrong to hope. It's not wrong to expect. It's not wrong to desire as long as your desires are painted by God's word. The Bible says in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. If you'll delight yourself in God's word and in the Lord and in the work of the Lord, God didn't say, don't ever desire anything. You reprobate human things. You should just be happy. I'm going to put, I'm going to let you in heaven when all is said and done. But you shouldn't desire anything on it. No, it actually says the opposite. If you delight yourself in the Lord, some people have this, this wicked view of God that he is some like tyrannical government, that he's some sadistic being. That he does he actually he actually gets pleasure off seeing people struggle in life that's i'm not kidding this is how some christians think of god they'll never say it they'll they'll sing jesus loves me this i know for the they'll sing it they'll they'll even confess when the when the preacher says god loves everyone amen they'll shout the loudest amen ever but in 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 their practice in their daily confession confession in their actions they prove that they're actually they believe opposite Because when you understand, when you understand the perfect love of God, it casts out all fear. God's love is perfect towards you. And it's not some weird twisted love that, yeah, he's putting this cancer on you because he loves you. There, there's nothing that says that in the Bible. Jesus, if, I mean, Jesus was the exact representation of God's will. And he felt compassion for the multitudes and he healed them. Doesn't say he felt compassion for the multitudes and he wrapped his arm around them and he said, hey, it's wrong for you to desire healing now. But know that one day, one day, you'll receive that healing. And it's not what he did. He, he, his love responded by meeting the needs of a lost and dying humanity. Any preaching that tells you the opposite, they are preachers that Paul prophesied in the last days would hold to a form of godliness they have nice, cute, Christian cliche statements, but they have denied the power that's able to set man free. So when you understand God's perfect love, it clears out all fear. And then 1 John 4 says that fear involves torment. And he that has not been perfected in love is tormented. It's where you get people, Christians, that live in tormenting fear. Because they've not experienced this perfect love of God. If my parents, who I know, my parents love me, and they've always wanted the best for me, and they've done everything to, to give me the best in life. If my parents, when I asked them for a birthday gift, they never, you know, it's not like, uh, they, they always responded positively. If my parents always wanted to do what was best, and give me the best, and, and uh, 
you know, if I wasn't feeling well. They, they didn't just sit there and say, hey, quit complaining. They, they did whatever. They took care of me. If my parents knew how to give good things to me, how much more will your heavenly father give good things to those who ask? How much more will your heavenly father take care of you? How could you have more faith in your earthly father? Your earthly father's um, intentions with you, that he has your best interests at heart, and then think God has some twisted, sadistic plan for you. It doesn't make sense. So number one, if you're going to understand faith today, you have to understand that God desires for you to have the best. Because if you don't believe that God wants you to have the best, you're never going to actually step out to believe God for a change of story in your life. You're never going to step out to believe God for a better life. You're never going to step out. If, if your desires are messed up, they're not there. You're never going to step out and believe God for increase. And you'll always make stupid statements like, you know, there's worse things to lose than health, better things to gain. You have Christians that are ashamed to confess God's word. They're ashamed to confess healing out of their mouth because of what other people would think of them. And if you're ashamed to confess it, you'll never have it. That's part of the laws of faith. If you're too coward-like to confess the promise of God, if you can't declare this book boldly and confidently, unashamedly, no matter what people think, about you, you'll never see it manifest in your life. If it's too big for your mouth, it'll be too big for your hand. A closed mouth is a closed destiny. A closed mouth is a closed destiny. Real faith has a voice. You can't, you know, the, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can't have faith bubbling out of your heart and not have your mouth correlate with, with, with speaking, with words. So let's get in it. What is faith? What is faith? You're never going to have a respect for faith unless you first understand this. Not everything that happens in life, God desired it to happen. Not everything that happened to you in life was God's will. I know that's going to rub people the wrong way and stuff, but it's, it's, it's not biblical to think that everything that transpires in life is God's direct will. If that were the case, the Bible says God desires none to perish, but all to be saved. Why is it that some perish and go to hell every single day? When it's clearly listed in the scriptures that it's God's desire that none perish. Why do some still perish? Because God gave you something called free choice. You have the choice to believe the promises of God and confess them. You know, the Bible says, you, with the heart, you believe unto righteousness, and with the mouth, salvation is, uh, is made. Or with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So someone, after hearing the gospel, could either mock it, Turn away from it or believe it. And only the one that believes it and then confesses it out of their mouth gets saved. Those that mock it, the Bible says in the last days, there'll be many that mock the truth. They're, 
Even though it's God's desire to see them saved, God's desire to, to have relationship with them, they're not going to walk in, in his plan based on what they chose to not believe. So people that say, uh, you know, whatever God wants, wants done, that's what will get done. They don't understand faith at all. And they're nev- those types of people, they'll never take responsibility to actually develop their faith. Everything happens for a reason, amen. No, not everything happens for a reason. Or sometimes the reason is you've made terrible choices and you've believed the wrong report. You know, Isaiah 53, 1 says, who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? The arm of the Lord is symbolic of God's power. So Isaiah the prophet is saying, who has believed our report? And as such, who has tasted of God's power. So not everyone tastes of God's power. Hebrews 4.2 says, they received the same gospel as we received, but it didn't profit them. They didn't get saved. They didn't get delivered because it wasn't mixed with faith in those that believed. It wasn't mixed with faith in those that heard it, sorry. So God, God will allow, I want you to write this in the comment section. God will allow what I allow. God will allow what I allow. I had someone write to me yesterday. And he said uh, he had a friend that every time he ministers healing to someone, he always gets this, that pain in his body after and then he has to sh- suffer with it. So let's say he, 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 he ministers healing to someone who has jaw pain it's like the next two months, he's going to have jaw pain. And he always had that. And he was like telling this other guy that I think it's just, you know, pretty much God's way to, 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 to keep me in compassion for these people and all that. And he asked me, do you think that's biblical? I said, absolutely, it's not biblical for two reasons. Number one, Jesus is the substitute for our faith, uh, for, our, for our suffering, sorry. Jesus was the substitute for our sin. Jesus was the mediator. Jesus was the one who took upon himself all our sicknesses and disease. He was the suffering servant, not me. And so I don't believe that in order for me to minister healing to other people, I have to live a life of sickness and disease. I believe Jesus took upon himself all the curse of the law, which includes sickness and disease, that not only can I minister healing to others, I'm a, I'm a, a, um, a, a benefactor, or a beneficiary rather, I'm a beneficiary of that same healing power. I'm not, I'm not the substitute that God sent to die on the cross. Jesus was. I'm not the mediator between God and man. I'm not the one that had to go to, I didn't have to go to the cross. Jesus did it all for me. You know that that song we all sing. Um, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He didn't just pay it all for the people, but the ministers have have to suffer just like Jesus suffered. He paid it all for everyone. For everyone. So number one, I don't believe that garbage just because I know that Jesus suffered for me and for those that I ministered to. 
And then number two, reason why that person probably is experiencing that is because A, they don't believe what I just said, and then B, they believe. They believe. Remember, Romans 4 talks about the law of faith. Just like there's the laws of gravity that govern the natural realm, there's the law of faith that governs the supernatural realm. And you can't jump off a building without any type of device that would cause you to propel upwards and expect to float. The law of gravity says what goes up must come down. The law, and, and there's nothing you can do to, to, to bypass that. Well, in the same vein, the laws of faith can't be bypassed. The laws of faith cannot be bypassed. And the devil operates by that same law of faith. He just tries to get people to believe not God's report, but his report. So the devil wants you to believe something. He just doesn't want you to believe God's report. He wants you to believe whatever his lies are. So somewhere along the line, the devil lied to that guy saying that if you want to minister healing to others, you're going to have to suffer with the same things that you minister to others or that you alleviate others from. And so what did that guy do? He bought that lie hook, line, and sinker. And now the devil has a foothold. He had a gateway because of the laws of faith. He had a gateway to access his life. And the devil will gladly accommodate your your poor believing system. He'll gladly accommodate fear in your life. He'll gladly accommodate poor uh, or untruthful things that you believe in. Even though it's not anywhere in the Bible. Even though it's not God's will for you to be like that. If you'll believe, you know, the Bible says you can have what you say, whether good or bad. So if you go around, that guy goes around saying, you know, every time I minister to someone else, seems like I get that same pain on me. He's going to continue to get that same pain on him. And he's not violating what God's word says. He's actually fulfilling it. You will have what you say. Doesn't say Jesus. Jesus didn't say you'll have what you say. Only the good things though. You'll have what you say. What you believe and speak is what's going to manifest in your life. What you believe and speak is what's going to manifest in your life. So why am I taking time to talk about this, about faith, and really dive deep into its operational uh, value for the believer? Because the Bible doesn't say, and the just shall live by the gifts of the Spirit. The Bible doesn't say that we walk not by sight, but by the gifts of the Spirit. The Bible says we walk not by sight, but we walk by faith. The Bible doesn't say take up the shield of the gifts of the Spirit and you'll extinguish every fiery dart of the enemy. There's a place for the gifts of the Spirit. When I minister, I minister by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In my own life, I've seen the flow of the gifts of the Spirit operating and it's, it's led to extreme blessing. I've had the word of knowledge. I've seen the working of miracles operate in my life. I've seen others operate in the working of miracles and seen people come out of wheelchairs and, and all kinds of wonderful things. But there is the other side to signs and wonders that a lot of preachers don't talk about. They just talk about, you know, the next revival conference. But what happens after the revival conference? People need to learn how to operate the faith laws. People need to learn how to cooperate with faith 
so that they can walk in daily victory. It can't just be conference to conference. It can't just be, well, I know if brother so-and-so comes to our church, I'll have him lay hands on me and I'll get... You have to... You have to realize you have the responsibility to develop your own faith so that you can walk in your own victory. You can't piggyback off other people's power and other people's relationship with God. And I know this isn't a popular message. A lot of people don't like to hear that because they do two things. One, when things don't go their way, they blame it on they, they, God's sovereignty or the devil's, you know, devil's trying his best or whatever. And then when things do go their way, it's always tied to, oh, I had brother this and that lay hands on me. Oh, I went to that revival meeting. There's going to be a point where it's 3 a.m. And pastor's not answering his phone. And the revival meeting isn't for another three weeks. What are you going to do at 3 a.m.? There is a way to have victory every single time. And it doesn't depend on another. It just depends on your faith in God's word. That's why I want to teach the, the, the faith principles to you today. So let's get in it. What is faith? Well, number one, we read it, the Bible definition of faith out of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So faith is, it, it, there's substance to faith. So that means it's not some ethereal force. Faith is not some mystical energy in the air. Faith is a practical thing, and it brings practical results. There's a lot of people that confuse faith with weird spiritualism. Faith is practical. People came to Jesus, two blind men. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus looked at them and said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, we believe. Well then, let me... Though you might not receive your physical sight right now, here's your spiritual sight. And then from that day onward, they just saw things in the spirit. No. Jesus asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And the two blind men replied with an anonymous consent, consensus. They said, yes, we believe, Lord. And in that moment, he said, then as your faith is, so be it unto you. And their actual sight, their actual sight came to Uh, their actual eyes came open and their sight, they had sight. They were able to see. So it wasn't some ethereal thing, some mystical, you know, even though they didn't gain their their physical sight, they had spiritual sight unlike, unlike ever before. Faith brings substance to a person's life. I heard Kenneth Hagin say it this way. Faith reaches into the unseen realm of hope. And brings it into physical reality. Faith reaches into the unseen realm of hope. And brings what God's word promises us into a physical reality. So if, you're, if you need an actual miracle today. God's not going to give you some weird spiritual version of it. God will give you the actual miracle. Faith is not just leaving things into God's hands. Well, do you believe that I'm able, to do, I'm able to do this? And the two blind men said, well, we're just leaving it in God's hands. They said, yes, Lord, we believe you're able to do it, and you'll do it for us now. Done? As your faith is, so be it unto you. So it's not leaving it into God's hands. Mark eleven twenty three 23 says, if you have faith, 
you will leave it in God's hands. No. If you have faith, you will say to the mountain, be thou uprooted and cast into the sea, and it will obey you, and you will have what you say. So faith is not waiting for God to act. Faith is speaking to the mountain, the obstacle, the irreversible situation that's in your way, and commanding it based on what God's promised you, commanding that obstacle to be removed, commanding that sickness to be exterminated from your body, commanding that failing marriage to line up with God's word, which says what God has brought together, let no man put asunder. So what is faith? Faith is, faith is not waiting for things to change. Faith is taking charge by what the word of God promises us over the situations of life to make them turn for good. That's why the Bible says faith is the evidence of things unseen. Sure, you're not seeing it now. Doesn't take faith to call things by what they are. It doesn't take any faith to live a sensual life. What does that mean? A life led by the senses. It takes no faith to look at a mountain and then just talk about the mountain. It takes no faith to look at an x-ray that has cancer on it and talk about how there's cancer on it. It takes no faith to look at a financial statement and say, well, looks like we're going to be bankrupt. Faith doesn't confess what it sees with its natural eyes. Faith confesses what it sees by the word of God, what it sees in God's word. That's why I tell people all the time, when you pray, don't just pray uh, with blanket statements. God, I know you can heal. I receive your healing now in Jesus' name. That's not what faith is. Find scriptures that are backing your desire. You want healing in your body today? Find three scriptures that prove God wants you to have healing. So that when you pray, you're not saying, Father, I don't know whether you want me to walk in healing or not. But I know that whatever you see is best. That's what I'll... James 1 says... Let the man ask in faith, in reference to praying. Let him ask in faith, nothing doubting. For he that doubts is like the waves of the sea, tossed to and fro. Let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. Anything from the Lord. So when you get the word, and you've studied the word to show yourself approved, and you've located several scriptures that back up what you're believing God for, then you're not confused. Lord, I don't know if it's your will or not. You can say, God, like a good lawyer. The court system works this way. A lawyer doesn't approach a judge and say, judge, so-and-so, you have to believe my client. He's a good guy. He volunteers at a local soup kitchen. He could have never, never have stolen that money from that bank. I'm telling you, I know him. I went to his kid's graduation and, and, and he, was the, he was the loudest dad that got up and said, that's my boy, he's such a good guy. There's, oh man. 
He gives all, he gives most of his money away to the poor. It doesn't matter if he comes and just he tries to move the God emotionally. You can't move God emotionally. You move God by faith. Oh man, that needs to go in the comment section. Write this down. I don't move God with emotions. I move God with faith. That's a powerful confession. I don't move God with emotions. I move God with faith. If you'll understand that, it'll change your life. Because you're not going to be the guy that comes in. You know, look at Hezekiah. Hezekiah gets a diagnosis that he's dying. And then Isaiah, the prophet, comes in. And by the word of the Lord says, you're going to die in this sickness. Hezekiah, what does he do? Oh, God, how could you? I can't believe you're going to let me do it. He didn't do that. He said, Lord, remember your covenant. And remember how I've served thee. He didn't move God by his emotions. He said, remember your covenant. The Bible says, put me in remembrance of my word. State your case that you might be acquitted. And it's not that God's got Alzheimer's and he just forgets things sometimes. Oh, I actually put that in my word? Can you, can you hold on? Angels, tune it down a bit. Let me go. You said that's in Isaiah 53. I actually said that I, by his stripes, come on. It's not like God's got Alzheimer's. It's the, and, and you know, even in law, in natural law, it's not that the lawyer or the judge is totally ignorant of the law and the lawyer's coming just reminding the judge, hey, remember, this is in the law. Most times the judge is way more knowledgeable of the law than the lawyer. But the judge can't rule in the favor of a client if the lawyer doesn't bring up sufficient evidence from the law. From the Constitution. Well, this is heaven's Constitution. And it's not that God's forgotten His Word. It's that it takes faith. God wants to see you release your faith. And it takes faith to locate the Scripture and then say, God, you said in your Word, X, Y, Z. You know, I say this all the time. You're believing God for a spouse? You're believing God for a... That's a great Scripture, Lisa. God is not a man that He would lie. That's right. That's why we can take his word to him. If there was a judge that was a, a no integrity, total liar, it didn't matter if you brought, he's an unjust judge. If you brought all the evidence to him and truth, he wouldn't rule in your favor because he's an unjust lying judge. God's not unjust and God is not a liar. What he has spoken, he desires to bring to pass. What he decrees, he wants to establish in your life. So the lawyer doesn't bring the, the evidence. This is all from Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the evidence of things not yet seen. We don't bring evidence to God from his word because God's forgotten his word or, or um, he doesn't actually believe it's in there. We're doing it because it's our step of faith that we're taking to turn our faith loose, to utilize the faith we have. And if it's in God's word, then you can know, you can take it to God and expect results. So what is faith? Faith is a spiritual force that is driven from the living word that produces living results. Faith is a living force drawn from the living word that produces living practical results. Number two, how do you get faith? Faith comes only by one way, and that's by hearing the word of God. Romans chapter 10. And verse 17, Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing 
and hearing by the word of God. So faith doesn't come by praying. Faith doesn't come by complaining. Faith doesn't come by hearing somebody else's testimony. A testimony can inspire someone's faith to action, but a testimony cannot actually build Bible faith. If all you do is, God, you should do this for me because you did it for Tammy. That's not faith. The testimony inspires you to act on your own faith, but the testimony cannot actually inject Bible faith. Only the word of God can do that. That's why Jesus said, he that hears these words and builds his life on them is like a man who built his life on a rock. When the rain descended, when the winds blew and beat against the house, it didn't fall because it was founded on the rock. Too many people are building their what they think is faith on people's testimonies or on Instagram, Instagram uh, posts that they heard. You know, those cute Christian cliches and stuff. When in reality, all faith that is outside of God's word is prone to failure and prone to, to, to fall. When your faith is in God's word though, it can never fail. It can never fail to produce results. And I have to say this, Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Word of God in that specific scripture is not logos, it's rhema. There's a difference between rhema and logos. The logos of the word is just the information of the word. So it's just being able to quote the scripture. Yeah, I know that's in the Bible. Anyone ever heard that one? Well, I know that's in the Bible. That's the logos. That's the logos. Doesn't, the Logos doesn't transform anyone. The Logos doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't generate faith. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the rhema of God. Rhema is the quickened Logos, meaning it's the Logos that you understand and believe with your heart. Faith cometh by hearing the rhema of God's word, the quickened word. There's a lot of people that know Things are in the Bible, but they don't actually understand the covenants of God. They don't actually understand the word of God. You know, it's like saying, it's like saying uh, two people went to, to, to do a test. One person came out with 99%. The other person came out with 20%. One person had a level of understanding that was very minimal but it, it wasn't sufficient to actually bring a, a passing grade into his hands. The other one understood the subject content that he, that he was being tested on and examined on. That's the difference between Logos and Rhema. There's a lot of Christians that have some sort of, they're informed of God's word, but they're not, they're informed of God's word, but they, 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 they don't have a depth of understanding of what they've read that is sufficient to actually bring in the promise. That's what Jesus said. He said that the seed that is sown on the good, word, on the good soil, it yields some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold according to their understanding. So your understanding of the word is essential is essential if you're, going to, if you're going to receive its promises. It's not enough just to say, well, I know healing's in the Bible. 
Study the doctrine of divine healing. I wrote this on Twitter the other day, and I, it's coming into my spirit now, so I'm going to read it. This is why I actually do Twitter, because it, it just helps me pen down some notes. Listen to this. I, I addressed it to people in ministry. A story, an analogy, is a great tool for inspiration. However, it takes sound Bible doctrine to impart genuine faith to the heart of an individual. So preach doctrine. Preach salvation. Preach the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You want to know why a lot of Christians, they're constantly defeated, oppressed, pressed down, crushed, full of anxiety, never, never able to come to the, to the freedom that the Word of God promises. Because they've heard so many inspirational stories from the pulpit, but they've, they don't know doctrine. Faith is built off Bible doctrine. And there's a lot of people in recent years who have said it's not about doctrine, it's about just loving God. You can't love, first of all, even that one statement you just said is a doctrine. And the love of God is a doctrine. So you can't even say it's not about love, it's not about doctrine, it's about loving God. To love God, you, ha- you have to know doctrine. Because the word of God is God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So you can't even love God properly without studying Bible doctrine. You want to see, you want to see healing manifest in your meetings? Preach divine healing. You want to see salvations? Your church hasn't seen anybody get saved? Preach on salvation. Let me just block someone. You want to you see? Hold on, let me just block someone. There you go. You want to see uh, something that you've read in the Word manifest in your meetings? You preach that thing. The Word of God is a seed. And it's when you sow that seed that you start to see the harvest of what's in the seed. God's word is loaded with power. It's loaded with God's power. With all of God's power. But just like a Ferrari engine, you can have all you can have a Ferrari engine in your car. You could have it uh, a three, four, five hundred horsepower engine that promises zero to sixty in two point five seconds. You could have a wonderful machine. But if you if you don't have a gearbox to actually kick that thing into gear, that engine is going to waste. You can have, the the word of God is loaded with God's power. But God's word, listen to this, what I'm about to say is very important. God's word is converted into God's power when it is believed and acted on. God's word is converted into God's power when it's believed and acted, acted on. But I go back to what I said before. The people cannot believe unless they've been told sound Bible doctrine. And that's why I always say we have a biblically illiterate generation. We have a biblically illiterate generation. We have a lot of passion in a lot of churches. But passion is not a substitute for sound doctrine. So you want want healing 
to manifest in your body and you haven't seen it. You know, anywhere that you're deficient in your understanding of God's word, you're going you're gonna to have weakness in that area in your life. So if you, if you have absolutely no knowledge of what God's word says on healing, divine healing and divine health, it's going to show in your life. It's going to show. Any area of weakness that you can locate in your word, it's always traced back. You can always trace back that area of weakness to a deficiency of your understanding of a specific, a specific doctrine in God's word. So what do you do? You just complain about it? You know, Jesus goes to Nazareth. He could do no mighty miracles there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. But he couldn't do what he wanted to do. He was the, he's the anointed Christ. He is God's power in flesh. And he, it's not that he would not do it. He wanted to. But he couldn't because of their unbelief. So what did Jesus do? He didn't complain about their unbelief. You know, these wicked, unbelieving people. The Bible says he provided the cure for unbelief. He went about in the circuits of those villages teaching Bible doctrine. He taught them on healing. Luke 5.17 says that Jesus on a certain day was teaching and the power of the Lord was present to heal. Was present to heal. So if you're sick, what I would do is I would load my spirit up with Bible doctrine when it comes to divine healing. I'd load my spirit. I'd read T.L. Osborne's Healing the Sick. I'd do everything to better my understanding of the, of, of the word so, until I have the rhema. I'll give you an example of this. Bishop Oyedepo in Nigeria was struggling big time uh, of sickness. He, he, he was struggling big time of, of financial poverty. The guy had no money and God gave him such plans to, to, to build this, this wonderful church, which he has today. They're like, I don't know if they're like 2 million, 2 million or a million people that attend his church on Sunday. But he... He was, he was struggling financially at the beginning of his ministry. Then he read a book on God's will is prosperity. And he started to study the covenant of prosperity that God, uh, God has in his word. And he studied and studied, not the first time he read through the book, like several times. That's what people, well, I've read it. Well, I've already studied that. It's like saying, I, well, I already ate last week. I don't need to eat this week. It's not about just studying it once or hearing about it once. It's constantly hearing. A con Bible doesn't say faith cometh by hearing the word once. It says faith is continually coming by hearing the word of God. Well, if you put a stop on the hearing of the word of God, faith will stop coming. And if faith stops coming, you're going to dry up. So you have to constantly intake the word if you want a constant intake of faith. So he, he kept reading until he had that rhema word. The moment faith came alive in him, he, he got up, though his financial situation was no different from the moment he started reading that book till, till now. He got up and he said, I could never be poor. And he started to preach on, 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 on biblical provision and financial prosperity, and he got mocked, and now he's one of the richest pastors in Africa and does amazing humanitarian work because of it. Because money is a terrible master, but it's a wonderful tool, a wonderful tool to help people. You know, you, you have no money, and the Bible says you have to feed the poor. How are you going to feed the poor if you can't even feed your poor mouth? 
doesn't work that way. So look at how it changed. There was another point where he was sick and, and he constantly, I mean, I think Bishop Oedepo actually has a testimony where he came out of tuberculosis. But anyways, he, he kept battling sickness and all that. Then he started to read T.L. Osborne's books and, and all that. And all of a sudden, it just bellowed out of his spirit. I could never be sick. He had that confession that was backed by profound understanding of what God's word says. Kenneth Hagin says he hadn't, he hadn't had a headache in, in uh, 36 years. Hallelujah. So how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And I'm going to finish with this. How do you make faith produce? How to turn your faith loose? Just because you have faith on the inside doesn't mean it's going to produce for you. There's a lot of people that they say this all the time. Man, that person had all the faith in the world and it didn't turn out good for them. They can have all the faith. They can have Jesus' faith in them. If you don't use your faith, it ain't going to produce for you. You can have a million dollars in your bank and die a pauper. You can have, there was a guy in Chicago in the 1940s. He had, uh, he was a, a beggar. They always saw him on the streets with his shopping cart and he'd go collect stuff out of garbage cans and whatnot. And he always had this little fanny pack around his waist and um, he was in this government-provided government, government provided, uh, apartment building. And he, he had no money. He was, he was skinny, skinny, skinny. And a uh, couple, of, couple of days go by and they, the people in that apartment building start smelling a stench coming from his, his apartment complex. And so they send police in. The police come in and he's there emaciated, dead on the floor and starting to rot. He died of starvation. When, the, when, when the, the, the people came in to, to pick up the body, they, they took the fanny pack off his, off his waist and they opened it up. And in there, now in the 1940s, he had 37,000 US dollars in the 1940s, which the equivalent of that today, let me check right now, 37,000 US dollars in 19, let's say 1940. It'd be $800,000 today. $800,000 he had wrapped around his, 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 his waist. And he died of starvation. Why? Because though he had everything that was necessary to make him live a, a great life, he didn't access it. You can have a million dollars in the bank and not know the four-digit pin to getting into your, your ATM and withdrawing money. And you can beat the ATM all you want. You can get mad at the ATM all you want. You can write a blog about how the ATMs are, are corrupt. You can do anything you want. You can blame everybody about the ATMs. The fact of the matter is that you're, you're, you've been blocked out of accessing that because you don't know. You don't know the, the accessing code. And faith is the accessing code that allows you to tap in to the unsearchable riches of heaven. It's faith. So how do you express faith? How do you release that faith? How do you tap in to heaven's bank account for your life that is filled with healing power, filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, filled with everything God's words promise? Two ways. There's two fundamental, fundamental ways to, to lose your faith. I want to read this because this shows you what 
This shows you what I'm trying to depict. Acts 14, 8 through 10. At Elystra, there was a certain man without straining his feet who was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, and Paul, observing him intently, seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet, and he leaped up and walked. So how did Paul see that he had faith to be healed? Obviously, there was some outward demonstration of this man's inside faith. So faith is not just thinking good thoughts. That's the beginning of faith. But obviously, there was some sort of outward manifestation of faith for Paul to see that he had faith to be healed. Mark chapter 2 also can illustrate this point. The Bible says there were four men that went and got their friend who was paralyzed. And when they saw there was no room to enter into the house, they sawed the roof and let down their friend by the roof. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said, man, take up your pallet and walk. So faith can be seen. What are the two ways faith is seen or faith is heard? Number one, faith is is seen through your confession. Faith is expressed by your confession. The Bible says, therefore let us not waver from our confession. For he that promised is faithful and he will bring it to pass. Confession is the expression of your faith. Without confession of the word of God. What does confession mean? Confession simply means saying what God has said. It's lining up your words with the word of God. And I'll remind you, the Bible says the That life and death is in the power of your tongue. They that love it will eat of its fruit. So your confession will either cause there to be a harvest of biblical promises in your life, supernatural manifestations, or you'll release death on your life. Because death and life are both in the power of your tongue. And they that love it, whether if you love life, you'll see, you'll see life. If you love death, You constantly speak death. You constantly berate yourself. I'm stupid. I I never have enough. I don't feel delivered. I just don't feel delivered. Colossians 1.13 says that you have been delivered. Not you will be delivered. You have been, past tense, from the powers of darkness and into into the kingdom of God's dear son. So instead of saying I don't feel delivered, Oh, one day I think I'm going to be delivered. Oh, I think I need a deliverance session. Instead of saying that, confess what the Bible says. I am delivered. If you're born again, washed by the blood of Jesus, you don't need deliverance. You need to look back to the deliverance that Jesus did already at the cross and and start to confess it by faith. I'm delivered. I'm delivered. I don't feel like God's with me. Who cares if you don't feel like God's with you? The Bible says in Isaiah 41.10, I will be with you, I will uphold you, and with my right hand of righteousness, I'll hold you up. Hebrews 13 says, Therefore we have this confidence, and we can boldly declare, The Lord is with me and on my side, whom shall I fear? And Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. And Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the ends of the age. So who cares if you don't, I don't feel like he's with me right now. See, this is, where I, I'm, this is why I'm taking time to preach this message today. 
Because if you just confess what you feel, you're going to be a roller coaster Christian. But if you'll start confessing what God's word says, then you'll start to actually, you'll live from glory to glory. You'll live from, from victory to victory. You'll live from strength to strength. Instead of ups and downs, you'll be on the path of the dust that shines brighter and brighter, even unto that perfect day. I don't feel saved. Who cares what you don't feel saved? You think I wake up every morning? If I wake up at 5 a.m. some days, and I'm all, you know, junk, gunk in the eye and all that, look in the mirror, and I'm like, wow, I feel so saved. Taking a flight to go preach somewhere early. You think that you feel saved? I don't care what I feel. I'm saved because the Bible says... These things have been written so that you may know you have eternal life. The devil wants to keep you into the feeling realm because that's where he can manipulate you. He can take advantage of you. He can, he can rip you up. He can rock your boat at will. He can do anything he wants and he gets, gets away scotch-free. But if you'll get the devil into the realm of faith, you'll whip him every single day of the week. Every day of the week. That's right, Amanda. doesn't matter what I feel. God's word is above all. That's why God said in Psalm 138 verse 2, he's honored his word above his own name. God honors his word above his own reputation and above his own name. And the Bible already talks about where the name of Jesus is. It's above every other name. And God's word is above even that name because God, God's word is, is honored above his name. So learn to honor God's word above your feelings. Learn to honor God's word above what you're seeing. Do you think David, when he saw Goliath, was like, wow, this seems easy. No, I'm sure he had feelings of, I'm kind of tiny compared to this nine foot six giant. But he honored God's word. And he knew God was with him. And he didn't go by what he felt. He said, I'm going to take your head off. He confessed. He confessed God's word. So here are things you should never confess. Number one, fear. Don't confess fear. I'm just afraid. I don't know what the future holds for me. Don't confess fear because Job said, the thing which I have feared has come to me. Fear magnetizes further uh, complications in your life. So instead of saying, when you're afraid, instead of confessing fear, do what David did. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Instead of confessing fear, I'm afraid. Say, I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. I will not fear. For those that are against me are not to be compared for those that are for me. For with them is the arm of flesh and Satan. With me is the arm of God. And greater is he that lives in me than he that is in the world. I don't care. I don't care what the devil's got. Man, I'm scared the devil's going to... Who cares what he's got planned? He's a chump. He's a defanged lion. He's a little pussycat. He can't do anything. If you any preaching that magnifies the devil and minimizes God's power is sent from hell. Far be it that you 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 have some preachers. They talk about the devil like 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 Jesus never whipped his butt at the cross. Like he's like the devil's enthroned in heavenly places. No, he's dethroned. Jesus said, the ruler of this world cometh and he has nothing in me. And you're connected to Christ by faith. The Bible says we've been grafted into Christ. So if he's got nothing in Jesus and I'm connected, I'm connected to Christ, then he's got nothing in me. <laughs> I want you to write that in the comment section. The devil has nothing in me. 
He's got nothing in me. You start saying, I feel like I'm under a curse. Then he'll have something in you. But you start to believe the word of God that says I'm delivered from his dominion. And now I'm in Christ. He has nothing in me. The wicked one cannot touch me. Do you know the Bible says that? I just feel like the devil's just harassing me. Do you know the Bible says the, the wicked one cannot touch me? That's in 1 John 5, 18. So why are you going to say, I feel like the devil's touching all my stuff. He's attacking. He can't touch me. He cannot touch me. Don't confess fear. Two, don't confess doubt. You can have a doubtful thought come into your mind, but you have power by the Spirit to, to, to not release it from your mouth. Don't confess doubts. You know, there was that man that heard the word of Elisha that by this time tomorrow, the economy will be restored. And what did he do? He confessed his doubt. If God should open up the windows of heaven, can such a thing be? Yeah, we're never going to see that economy come back again. And what happened? Elisha said, Indeed, you'll see it with your eyes, but you'll not taste of any of it. And the next day, he was trampled underfoot. He saw the miracle take place, but he didn't taste of it because he chose to confess his doubt. Doubt sinks people into a low level of life. Faith raises people up. Don't confess weakness. Number three, don't confess weakness. I just feel like I'm so weak. I just The Bible says, let the weak say, I am strong. So don't, con- uh, you know, these are my weak areas. I don't find like I'm much, much in these areas. You know what Paul said? Wherever I'm weak, then I'm strong. For his power rests, rests on me. And his power makes perfect all my weaknesses. Paul was saying, I have strong points. But I, whatever area of weakness, I'm not weak anymore. Because his power, his power manifests in my areas of weakness. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But it wasn't going around, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not much good in that. You know, my, my boss wants me to learn Photoshop, but I, I don't know if I can, the learning curve is so, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Don't confess your weaknesses. Don't say, where I was weak, now I'm strong. The Bible doesn't say, let the weak say they're strong when they feel like, they got a handle on things. It says, confess strength now. If you're, if you're, uh, uh, if you're weak mentally, you were never bright in school or whatever, you know, neither was I. But you want to know what happened? When the Holy Spirit came in me, he's the spirit of wisdom. And so whatever, whatever weakness or deficiency I had before, The Holy Spirit quickens me. The Bible says he will quicken your understanding. I'm convinced that anybody that believes what I'm saying right now and is in Christ will have a a supernatural IQ acceleration. Their IQ will, will jump. I really believe that. I don't believe you can be in Christ, believe what I'm saying right now, and stay at the level, the same IQ level. I believe that God will actually quicken your 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 wisdom container. And number four, don't confess sickness. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, this, this is my diabetes, you know. I just feel like my, my MS is always acting up. Man, my headache is really bad. My? My headache? 
my diabetes? Claim it as your own. You'll keep it. Claim it as your own. You've, you've now put possession rights on it. Ownership rights on it. You got to reject that thing with all, you've, all that is within you. There's an evangelist, Ted Shuttlesworth Sr. He had, in his early days of ministry, he had a, a tumor come out of his neck. And it was so big, it pierced through his skin. And there was ooze coming out. Ooze coming out, like a gross, oozy substance coming out of it. And he was preaching, or he was at a minister's conference, and anybody that asked him about it, uh, the Lord told him to say, matter of fact, I don't even think it was the Lord that told him to say. I think he just started confessing it. He just, when people asked him about it, he said, yeah, that's Jesus' tumor. He didn't say, yeah, that's my tumor. You know, it's acting up again. I'm sorry, is this... You have, a, you have a wheezy stomach. Let me wipe that out. He said, that's Jesus' tumor. That's Jesus. For, for, for weeks, nothing happened with it. And then he started to change, because he kept saying, that's my tumor. That's my. He started to change his confession. And he said, that's Jesus' tumor. Doesn't belong to me. Because the Bible says in Isaiah 53, he himself took our sicknesses. Well, if he took it, then what business? I don't, I don't have it. It's not, it's not mine. If it's not mine, and Jesus already took it, then it must be his. So he said, that's Jesus' tumor. Within three days, when he changed his confession, within three days, the thing dried up. Done. Totally, totally uh, um, withered away off his neck. And it's not been back since. Stop laying claim to things that the devil's trying to do in your body. It's not yours. He took. That's G you, you have to see, when Jesus was on the cross... The reason why it took him six hours to die, when in crucifixion it usually took two to three days, is because he didn't just have your sin in his body. He had everything sin brought on the world too in his body. Cancer. He took depression in his body. He took MS in his body. He took tumors in his body. He took diabetes in his body. He took kidney failure in his body. He took everything in his body so that you'd be free from it. So what do you do? You look. You see him as a substitute. And you realize the devil has no right laying on me what God already laid on Jesus Christ. So don't confess sickness. So there's things you don't confess, but then there's things you do confess. What do we confess as Christians? You confess what God's done for you through the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. Learn to get a Bible vocabulary. Learn to get a Bible vocabulary. Let your, your, your daily vernacular be guided and governed by the Word of God. Confess healing for your body. Confess strength for your body. Confess prosperity for your business. Confess increase for your life. Confess... You know, the Bible says God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which be not as though they did. So the faith of God, how did it operate? He called the things, not which are, the things which be not as though they were. So call, confess, not what you see, but what God's word promises you. The Bible says, not that sin has dominion over us. 
I have dominion over sin. Well, how many of you know we struggle with sin every day? Okay, keep confessing that and keep struggling with sin. Keep having a hard time with sin. Keep having that pornography addiction. Keep having that. How many of you know, you know, we're recovering alcoholics. 15 years down the line, you're still a recovering alcoholic. Keep, keep saying that. Totally disavow any connection with sin by saying, I have dominion over sin. Target what you don't want in your life and confess God's word in that area. Target what you don't want in your life and confess God's word in that area. You see something you don't like happening? Your child is not serving the Lord or whatever? You target that area. That's where the devil's rearing his ugly face. You use the, the sword of the spirit. The Bible says it's not just the shield of faith. It's the sword of the spirit that cuts down every attack. And, and then you, you send his word. The word that isn't sent can't manifest. You have to send. He sent his word and it healed them. God said and there was light. So if there's darkness, send the light of his word into that area. My children, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, the Bible says. The scripture says, you and your household will be saved. You're, the generation of the upright will be mighty on the earth. That's God's promise. His children will be like olive plants, sources of the anointing, sources of encouragement planted around their house. Psalm 128. So you, you send the word in the area that darkness is glooming in. And see. And you don't just do it once. You keep speaking until you start seeing. You keep declaring until you start seeing the manifestation. Moses, go and tell uh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Okay. Pharaoh, let my people go. No. God, I tried. He kept, he kept telling him, go back in, say it again. Go back in, say it again. Go back in, say it again. You know, I tried that whole confession thing, but it didn't really work. The fact that you're saying it didn't really work shows that you never really tried it. Because when you, and we're not talking about positive confession. We're not talking about Christian science, positive thinking and vibes. I'm talking about using the word as a weapon to strike down hell's attack on your life. Take up the shield of faith and Quench every fiery dart of the enemy. So number one, faith is expressed and it's released through your words and then number two, through action. Faith carries corresponding action. Hey, you're blind. Spits on the floor. Makes clay. Wipes it on his eyes. Go and wash. Well, do I really have to go and wash? You know, God's grace is enough, amen? No, he went and washed and he came back seen. He would have never come back seen unless he went and washed. Faith is expressed through action. I believe that I, I'm really going to shake my nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I really believe that we're going to see revival in this country. Well, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, we're just praying, you know. It's not enough. What are you doing? Jesus didn't just believe that, you know, he was the son of God and he had the power to change things on earth. He went 
The Bible says he went about doing good. The Bible says he went through all the villages, healing their sick, casting out devils, raising the dead. Then he told his disciples, hey, you want to come on board? You go out and do the same. And the works you see me do, you'll do in greater works. Well, I just believe that revival is going to come to my city. What are you doing? Well, we have a monthly like event where we go on the local mountain and we just, we just release songs of worship. It's not doing anything. The devil's laughing at that. Releasing songs of worship. Oh, and, and, and Philip went down to Samaria and he released songs of worship into the atmosphere. Weird. It's weird. It's weird. Philip went down to Samaria and he what? He preached Christ unto the people. And multitudes gave heed as they saw the miracles he did and demons coming out of the people. And there was great joy in the city. Hallelujah. You, 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 you say that you're believing God for a change in your nation? Well, start at the level you're... That's what I'm doing. I want to see my generation changed by the power of God. So what am I doing? We do Hope Fest, Crusades. I'm not going to reach the people I want to reach in a church. I might reach a few of them here and there, but if I want to go big time fishing, if I want to let down my net for a catch, I don't want to fish with a fishing rod. I want to fish with a net. Then I go and plant my boat in inner city areas, the rough areas. You know, Jesus didn't say, go to the nice areas, go to the rich suburbs. And then he said, go to the highways and byways, to the lame, to the poor, to the cripple, and Preach the gospel. Tell them there's room in my house. So that's what we do. And I'm doing it at the level that I can do it at right now. Financially and all that. And God's increasing us. And we're going to be able to do it at a greater level. And then our plan is one day to rent out stadiums and stuff like that. Or at least like bigger, bigger parks. And we're not going to hold worship nights and stuff. We're going we're gonna to have God, good old-fashioned gospel crusades. That's how a nation has changed. So I have a plan. Faith has a plan. Faith is not wishful thinking. Faith is not, you know, you know, people come, people come up to me, hey brother, you know, I feel like the Lord called me into ministry like 18 years ago and I'm just waiting for a door. 18 years ago. When God calls you to ministry, you got to step out in faith. Jesus said to Peter, step out of the boat. Come to me on the water. Peter could have just said, you know, I really feel the call of God to step out on water right now. You know, people are so religiously brainwashed, they, they have no earthly good. It's not that they're so heavenly minded. Because a heavenly minded person, people always used to say, so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Actually, the more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you'll be. But heavenly minded isn't being weird. Religious, religiously brainwashed people are weird. Hey John, Jesus told me to walk on water. <laughs> Did he tell you that? It's like people love to gloat about what God's told them in the secret place. They boast. Of how, you know, there's people that call themselves prophets and they just talk about, they just talk about, you know, everything the Lord's spoken to me. The Lord spoke. Lord spoke. Lord, first of all, if the Lord spoke to you one thing, it'd be to brush your teeth. You haven't even covered that yet. Like there's people that are so, so off on what actual spirituality is. They're to totally disconnected. Like Jesus was some hippie. He wasn't a hippie. He moved practically and saw things done practically. So faith also has action tied to it. Practical action. Hey man, this guy's talking about healing. Let's go and get Joseph. 
He's been paralyzed for like 20 years. All right, four men come and bring Joseph. They saw the roof off, lay him down, and he saw their faith. What did he see? He saw their action. He tied action to their faith. James says, if you have no works and say you have faith, you're a liar. And the truth isn't even in you. Faith produces works. Faith produces works. I pray in the name of Jesus that today the spirit of faith came on you as you listen to this broadcast. And from today, there'll be a whole new viewpoint as to what faith is. That this would be like a broadcast that totally enlightened you to the actual operation of faith. Some of you came into this broadcast not knowing what faith is. You've heard a lot about faith. You've heard a lot about what faith can do and stuff. But how to actually release that faith and, and see, you know, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Obtaining good reports by faith. I pray that this broadcast changed your outlook on, on what faith is. And that from today... From today, your life will never be the same again. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. Father, I ask you, by your grace, pour out on them the spirit of faith. Lord, that same spirit that was in David, that empowered him to, despite all odds, challenge Goliath and defeat Goliath. Because he spoke not what he saw, but he spoke what you had already told him. That same faith of Caleb and Joshua that they had another spirit. And the Bible says as a result they had another story. I ask you, Father, let that same spirit reside in your people watching right now, that they'd never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're watching right now, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer with me. If you have and you'd like to get back on track and you've rededicated your life to Jesus today, pray this with me. Not an option. You need to get right with God. Say this, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Where I was weak, make me strong. I turn to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. May may I never be the same. From today, I'm moving forward with God. Backward never. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to get in contact with me. SalvationNow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Fill it out. I want to hear from you. And we're going to send you a gift free of charge just to welcome you into the family of God. And also there's a link at the bottom of that page to a YouTube video I made that's going to really help you. So God bless you. Please go and do that. uh, Fill out that form. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.